0: family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4, 23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the types of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Prince, today we're going to be looking at the Song of Simeon in Luke chapter 2. I'll invite you to remain standing as you're able. This is the text, the word of the Lord. Beginning in verse 22. When the time for purification rites required by the law of Moses came, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, to offer sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation." which." so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and the sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be be to God. God. You may be seated, and as you are, let us bow together for prayer. May your spirit, O God, stand between me and your people so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be shaped, formed, and molded into the gospel of Christ, in whose name we gather, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart this place and seek to serve faithfully. And all of God's people did say, Amen. Amen. As we move into this new season in the life of our church, it's important to recognize what are the mission and vision of the Global Methodist Church as a denomination. So I want to begin with this very, at the very essence. First to say, um, this is the mission of the Global Methodist Church. It is to make disciples of Jesus Christ who worship passionately, who love extravagantly, and who witness boldly. If we could put that on the screen, please. The mission of the Global Methodist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ who worship passionately, who love extravagantly, and who witness boldly. So over the next six six weeks of our sermon series, Connect, what we're going to be focusing on is the mission of the Global Methodist Church, and we're going to spend six weeks by doing this. We're going to look at the personal and the corporate dynamics of each of those three expressions, to worship passionately, to love extravagantly, and to witness boldly. The vision of the Global Methodist Church is to join God in a journey of bringing new life, reconciliation, and the presence of Christ to all people, and to helping each person reflect the character of Christ. So in many ways, the ways that we have talked the last five plus years I've been with you is we already acknowledge God is at work at the world. We come alongside the work that God is already doing. It's important to recognize there's both a personal and a corporate component to this, because the only way that we can move into the future collectively as a church is to be willing to go to those places as individuals. Or, to say it another way, we can't go together as the body of Christ where we aren't willing to go personally in our walk with Christ. Now, we can talk about organizational stuff. You've probably seen it in your work. One of the best ways that I love to hear this expressed is by John Maxwell when I went to his training. He said, as leaders, your capacity to grow is the lid for the organization you are a part of. And he calls it the leadership lid. And we take the concept and transfer it to thinking about us together. The lid of what we will be able to accomplish. In other words, the ceiling of what we can do together is going to be determined by where we're willing to go Together. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to do the same thing. It doesn't mean everybody's going to do the same amount of work. It doesn't mean everybody's going to have the same lane of ministry. But it means we're going to have to do this all together to live vibrantly. I think maybe the best prayer for the future that we're going to choose to create together would be this. I'm thinking about putting it on cards and maybe have it keep it in your pocket. Lord, prepare in me as a follower of Christ what you are preparing for us as the body of Christ together. Read that with me. It's right on the screen for you. Lord, prepare in me as a follower of Christ what you are preparing for us as the body of Christ together. So to unpack the personal part of this, the very personal part of this, I look at Simeon. Now realize, in the choosing of the text and the rhythms, I'm playing biblical hopscotch in the narrative in the life of Christ. Because last week, we were already at Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3, at the River Jordan. He's already in his adult life. Jesus isn't baptized for any cleansing of sin. What Jesus' baptism represents is the launching into his public ministry. The Spirit descends on him like a dove at his baptism. He's immediately driven or led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness and temptation, returns from that into ministry. But we take a pause as we renewed our covenant and our yes to God last week, and we move to this text, which actually flows more in the flow of unfolding, where Jesus would be taken eight days after birth for Mary to be ritually cleansed, for Jesus to be dedicated, and so it's a more proximity to the time. Simeon, but who was he? Well, there's a couple things we know about Simeon first. Um, I love the way in which it's described by one commentator who says it this way Simeon was old. He probably, because the text tells us he's been waiting for the consolation of Israel, he probably lived as a child when Rome conquered and destroyed, when Rome conquered what happened um, in, 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 the, in the life in 70 uh, B.C., what happened in Rome. So if he's older, he maybe saw what happened when Rome came in and, and exercised their will. And so from a child, he's been hoping and waiting and looking for the consolation of Israel. And the commentator says, it's a great text to preach at Christmas time because Simeon, if he was older, the likelihood he had a white beard is good. That's what happens to us as we age it's a different kind of white-bearded figure to follow in Simeon than there is the other white-bearded fellow that gets pretty good press around December. And I love the contrast of that image. text tells us, remember what I say time and again, let the text speak. He was devout. He was looking for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting. And I think that probably, though it doesn't say he went every day, I bet he did go every day to the temple courts. And what was he waiting for? He was looking for the consolation, but in his actual words, he says, and what's known in the Latin is Nuke dimittis, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace. It's a magnificent piece um, of music. I sang it in college as a benediction, uh, as a group. But, but in what, what Simeon says in his, his hymn is, Lord now, let us thou thy depart, thy servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. Simeon was Jewish, he probably was speaking Hebrew, and what he would have probably said was he was looking for Yeshua. You see, salvation in what is understood is not just a moment but an experience, and in psalm one fourteen seven we hear it said, Oh, that salvation, oh, that Yeshua of Israel would come out of Zion, this belief that God's salvation would come out. And so what's important to know is this, that that when we think about the relationship that we experience in salvation, it's important to remember that Christianity is not a religion, it is a relationship, It's a relationship with Christ. What is unique for what's being sought and looked for in personal worship is salvation, a a way of connecting your heart to God. And we also know that salvation isn't something that you do. It is someone that you know. So when we think about what does it mean for looking for salvation, it's simple. Everybody in this room knows what it means to save something. If you're working on an MS Word document, you only have to hit the wrong keystroke after 45 minutes of work and lose that document once before you learn there's a really important little button called autosaved, right? When someone is playing golf and I spend too much time this way and I'm not where I need to be and I've got two strokes and I'm in the sand trap or the weeds or under a tree, if I'm able to hit the ball out and I'm able to get it down with one putt, what have I done? Come on, Doug, what have I done with you many a time? I have done saved par, haven't I, right? Saved par. When something has been lost or whatnot, it's rescued, we say, well, it's been saved. So we all understand this concept of saved and what's been saved in salvation. But how does it apply to our personal life? I've done this before, but I don't know of any better image. And that is a sponge. When you think about your personal relationship with God and what you're looking for, think of the sponge If I had water here, I could place the sponge that's dry into the water, and what is the sponge going to do? It's going to soak up whatever is there. If that water is clean, it's going to soak up clean water. But if it happens to be a mess, maybe it's a spilled soda, and I just need to clean it up, the sponge is going to soak up that sticky sugar-based soda as well. And it's going to be a part of the sponge. This is who we are. Folks, we are living sponges, and the challenge that we face as Christians in the world today is our personal habits of where we put the sponge of our soul and what we soak up. Let me give you a practical example. It's the morning. You wake up. What's your morning routine look like? If your morning routine takes you to a place where you're going to look for, oh gosh, I want to see what's in the news, that's not great to do, I'm telling you, right? Because news is sold on what's the most sensational in the capitalist society, and they're not going to lead with the story of redemption, hope, and grounding your life in Christ, right? They're going to lead with what's the most negative, what's got the most conflict. The only place that's different was two weeks ago. When a professional athlete collapsed, right? And what happened to the world in the face of when a professional athlete collapsed? Did they go to logic? Did they go to wondering? Did they go to tarot cards? Did they say, what do you think about it? What did everybody do? Come on, you know what They knelt in prayer. You see, we're built to know that in times of crisis and need, we go to God. How do you begin your day? What if the beginning of every day you took the sponge of your life and started in Scripture and began soaking up these words of text, even if you don't fully comprehend them, even if you don't fully know them? What if the sponge of your life could echo from what's known as the Shema of the Hebrew faith? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. What if the beginning of every day you chose before you made a decision to ground your life in what God would be revealing to you? John Wesley, founder of Methodism, literally said that he would pray that God would reveal to him in Scripture what he needs to hear, and he would just read Scripture. What if rather than reading a commentary about the Word of God, you read the Word of God? What if before you read a devotional which is kind of like a cheat sheet to get in Scripture sometimes, right? Because you don't really open the Bible. You read the devotional, but there's Scripture in the devotional, and there's nothing wrong with the devotional. But what if you started with Scripture, and the sponge of your soul was soaking up the Word of God? That's what we need to be about, to worship passionately, personally to ground our lives clearly, to let our lives soak it up. It's what happens in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 8. The grounding biblically, of the song we sung a few minutes ago, as Isaiah says, in a very personal way, where is God? Here I am, Lord. Send me. Now, I want you to know there's danger in doing this. And the danger in doing this is, is that God may lead you to a place that would change your habits, your behaviors, or your decisions. And I think in the spirit of C.S. Lewis, the devil knows his screw tape exactly what he's doing to get you busy and distracted, because you don't want your decision-making process to be surrendered to a higher authority. You and I like being in control of our schedules and what we do. We're all sponges. It's that simple. And where we start our day and where we place our lives will determine how we worship passionately and personally. Simeon says that his eyes have sounded the salvation of God, it's a light to the Gentiles, it is the consolation of Israel. In that little message, what's clearly being stated is that this Yeshua, this salvation of God, is for all. Because a Gentile literally means someone outside the Jewish community. In the framework of Simeon, there would have been the Jewish community the people, of covenant people of God, and they would have been everybody else. And so this message embedded is that the invitation is open to all to see who Christ is. Or think of how Paul says it in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, "...therefore I urge you, sisters and brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship." Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The light of Christ is available to all. But the old language that began the movement in the Methodist societies is this word, you must appropriate. In other words, you must absorb, you must make it your own. So here's some practical words, really practical words. I don't know if you have been at that place in your life where you've just simply been going back time and time again. If you have, congratulations, you're in a simian kind of mindset. Simeon went back time and time and time again to the temple courts. And next week, we're going to look at the significance of why we worship corporately. But Simeon went to where the gathered people were. He went hunting. He was waiting. He was expecting what God was going to do. Do you have a Simeon mindset or is coming to church and watching and worshiping online, is it just part of the rhythm of what you do or do you expect to hear something from God? What we do together individually should lead us and inspire us collectively as the body of Christ. Secondly, not only what are you hunting for in the Simeon moment, are you like Simeon? Are you devout? Do you know the Scriptures? One of the things that we have not done as good a job historically that we need to do is, I feel like some Sundays I want to just have a 10-minute orientation to say, Have you ever really purchased a Bible and know why you were purchasing the version and the translation that you are? Because most of us have a Bible that's like the NR, the RSV translation Bible is sitting in the pew back in front of you. I want you to have a study Bible. I want you to have an NIV study Bible or the parallel study Bible. I want, to, I want you to get grounded in God's Word. I want you to know how to read the Word for yourself. Part of the richness that we overlook every week within our Protestant tradition is that the Scriptures, and if you think about this, in the movement of the 1500s with Gutenberg Press, and the education and the print increasing, that was when Bibles actually got in the hands of everybody and the people. When we put this Bible facing you, we don't put the Bible saying it's over here. You can get to it through me. We say no. This is the Word of God for who? The people of God. This reveals the heart, the mind, and the will of God for you. Do you have your favorite Bible? I've got stacks of them. Stacks of them. And I'll look at different ones. I've got one called the Artifact Bible. And it's so fascinating because if I'm reading a text in the Old Testament and they're talking about something, I'll go to my Artifact Bible and we can find historical information that reveals what's there. And we find the meaning and the digging into what words mean in the Hebrew and the Aramaic and the Greek and who was the ruler at the time. What was going on? For example... If you just read Jesus' text about, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, do you remember that text? What did he say? Take up thyself and throw thyself into the sea. Well, look, the people around Jesus' area, they kind of knew the Mediterranean, but most of them knew the Sea of Galilee. It's not super large. You can look at a map and see how big it is. But when we really dig into Scripture, we find out that Herod was actually wanting to build a memorial to himself. And you visit today outside of Bethlehem, you will see what is known as Herodian. Herodian was Herod's arrogance, getting all the slave labor that he could, and there was a mountain that was here, and he said, I'm gonna build a mausoleum to myself so that when I die, I will be buried at the highest point. And he made his own mountain. What's the likelihood when everybody knew who Herod was and how he made mountains, that Jesus was drawing upon that context of the listener in that first century, they probably knew. I know Herod can take people's lives, and he's a pretty powerful guy, and he builds his own mountain, but Yeshua, Jesus the Savior, just said, if I've got faith the size of a mustard seed, wow, I can make mountains move too. That's why you need a good study Bible. And then lastly, you need to be grounded in Scripture because it's important to remember that your faith in Christ needs to grow directly proportionate to your individual time in Scripture. We don't come to church to practice our faith. We come to church to be able to experience a living God, to be able to share each other's burdens, celebrate each other's celebrations, and worship God. And by the way, in worship, we'll talk next week, God is the audience of our worship, not us. And we have a tendency to forget that sometimes. But that's why we come together, because we're sent out into the world. And think about what you sing every week that you leave. Surely... It is God who saves me. Do you believe it? Do you believe it in your heart? Does it make a difference in your decisions? What's it mean to worship passionately? It means to be grounded in God's Word, to take the sponge of your life and develop habits and behaviors that ground you and ground your life in the reading and the study of Scripture. Several years ago, um, Ron Tubbs was diving off um, the island of Oahu, and um, he was connected to a diving line, but the diving line broke, and they had diving lines there because of the strong currents. If you need to know about the strong currents, just talk to Gary, and uh, he will tell you about what it was like to paddle outside of Hawaii to an island for lunch, so he and Sonia did that. The currents around the island can be strong, and they started the morning... Karen's carried him out. He's swimming to no avail um, in nightfalls. So now, in pitch darkness, there was no full moon. It was pitch, uh, it was pitch darkness. There was no moon that night. Um, he's in the darkness floating in the ocean. Uh, what's the likelihood that things are going to go well for him? Not so good, right? But he remembered that he had a small flashlight. And what he did with that small little flashlight in the pitch dark is he held that light up and turned it on. And do you know how the Coast Guard found him in pitch darkness 11 miles out into the ocean? A little bitty light. I wonder if each of us has let that child's song burn deep within our bones. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Friends, if we want the light of Christ to shine brightly in this place as the body of Christ together, we each must be willing to let that light of Christ shine within our own hearts. We each must be able to mark a moment in our journey. Look, I was—I call myself a drug baby. I'm a Methodist preacher's kid. I've never lived any place but a parsonage. I've never known anything but the church. Every day the doors of the church were open. As a preacher kid, I was drugged to church. It's the church that taught me the language of the faith that instructed me how to respond in faith. It's the church that has taught me how to continue to respond, knowing that in Philippians chapter 2, not only does Paul say the distinctive nature of Jesus is that he is the one before whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, but he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's both a moment of relationship that I experienced in high school and have time and time again as I've learned to live the hymn, I Surrender All, All to Jesus I Surrender. Friends, as we launch a new year, as you've remembered your baptism, as you're going to worship passionately, personally, touch that moment again, a full surrender to let the light of Christ burn within your heart that it might burn in all our hearts. Let's pray together. God, forgive us for the ways that we have created elaborate excuses and forgotten your love for us. Help us to remember that our worship does not dictate who you are, but God, you are one who shares your love for us, and that should shape the way in which we worship. Help us to surrender our lives to you and to your love in the love, the grace, ministry, and compassion of Jesus Christ. This we pray in His name, and all of God's people said,